This is Real Estate Rookie episode 195. And so you need to look at the house with the proper layout so that you can separate the upstairs and downstairs. For example, there's many houses in the Denver area where the side door that is like right where the stairs are to go downstairs. So all you have to do is like put a little wall up or put a little door up and you've got the se- you've got two separate units. Mm-hmm. And that would be perfect to Airbnb the downstairs. We do that like I've got many properties that that are just that. And I think that's the most efficient way and the way I like to house hack now. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we give you the inspiration, information, and motivation you need to kickstart your real estate investing career. Ashley Kerr, my co-host, what's going on? What's new in your neck of the woods? Well, I'm currently in a stretch position trying to get my knee to stop being painful right now. The six month (laughs) never ending complaining of me with my knee problems, but hopefully (laughs) I just had my last surgery and hopefully I'm on the mend, but I avoided my pain pill today, which I probably should not have, but um, I wanted to be of sound mind uh, for the podcast recording, (laughs) but I feel like that's not even possible even without me on drugs. So yeah, um, but yeah, other than that, uh, everything's good. I'm going to look at a property tonight um, that could potentially just be a a long-term buy and hold and getting excited. Um, I think when this airs, this has already happened, but I'm going out to Boise, Idaho to uh, a conference that I'm going to be the MC at and speaking at for AJ Osborne. And it is his uh, CRU circle um, event. So it's a, mostly about commercial real estate investing. Yeah, it's exciting. There's like yeah. a, a loaded uh, lineup of speakers for that one. I think Thatch is speaking there, Brandon's speaking there. So quite a few number of people up. When is it again? Like June, what through the what? Uh, June 14th to the 17th. Uh, okay. I think we're at another conference that like overlaps with that. But yeah, I saw this, I saw the lineup. I, I thought it was really cool. I, I wanted to, to attend. So you have to give us the, the full download once you get back. Don't worry. Follow my Instagram stories and you'll be able to see all that. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be plenty of this. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about the conference. It's just the after party. No, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more, more hula hoops and uh, master yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, no, the last cool. time I went to an AJ Osborne conference, it was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and it was a self-storage conference. And I remember the first night he's like, oh, I'm having just like a small VIP little cocktail hour. It's just going to be, you know, some hors d'oeuvres and cocktails just join us. And it was like oysters, uh, fresh cut prime rib. Like, I'm like, wait, what? This is cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. This is like a meal, a 10 course meal. So the food is what I'm most looking forward to. There you go. All right. Not, not the networking, not the, not the amazing yeah. content, just yeah. the, the food. Yeah. Love it. So what's new with you, Tony? Um, actually, while we were recording this podcast, I got an email that we just closed on another one of our, our flips. So that's always exciting. Um, this oh. one's cool because like all of our other flips, we've been using that money towards the purchase of more short-term mm-hmm. rentals, but this will be the first flip that's not like earmarked for like another purchase. Yeah. So we'll actually get to spend some of it. Um, so that, that's always exciting, you know? So we, we started flipping houses late last year and uh, we've rehabbed, I don't, I don't know, like, like quite a few in Joshua tree now. So really, really excited that we can continue to grow that part of our business. And 
we're, we're flipping these properties as turnkey short-term rentals. So even though it's technically a different type of real estate investing, it pretty much is still what we're doing. But instead of us keeping the property, we're just selling it to someone else at the end. So um, it's been cool to kind of learn this this other side of, of real estate investing. And you know the properties are turning out like we get better every single time. So if you guys want to see the flips or you guys want to like maybe buy them from us, you guys can follow yeah. us on Instagram. It's at Tony J. Robinson. I usually post all the, all the flips we're selling there. I think that is so cool that you are taking exactly what you're doing and learning how to have a different exit strategy based off of it, but also helping other people get started. Like having a turnkey property Mm -hmm. is a great way to get started in real estate Mm -hmm. investing if you know nothing about rehab and especially if you want to get into short-term rentals. I mean, a lot of the properties that you have bought, purchased out in, um, and even Joshua Tree, but in the Smoky Mountains too, a lot of them were pretty much turnkey, correct? Pretty much every, yeah, everything we yeah. bought in the Smokies has been turnkey. It was mm-hmm. an existing short-term rental, came fully furnished, and we spent like, you know, a couple thousand bucks like replacing linens and, you know, missing yeah. silverware and stuff like that. But yeah, there, there's definitely a gap right now, I think, in the short-term rental industry in terms of turnkey opportunities in a lot of markets. Like if you look at long-term rentals, you, there, there's, you know, turnkey operators in almost every every major uh, location, but that same thing hasn't happened yet for the short-term rental. So we we feel like we're we're filling a void there. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Well, today we are talking about a specific topic, and that is 
house hacking, not short-term rentals. And we have an expert on today, Craig Kerlop, who wrote the book, The House Hacking Strategy. So Craig joins us um, from Denver, where he has his real estate team, but also recently we found out just moved to Idaho. So Craig is coming on today to talk about house hacking, what it is, is it still possible to do in today's market? What are the advantages, the disadvantages of it? And I'm, I'm glad we brought Craig on because, you know, in my mind, house hacking is one of the lowest risk ways, I think, to get started as a real estate investor. And Craig really breaks down kind of his five-year blueprint that most people can probably achieve financial freedom by following uh, or using house hacking as a strategy. So overall, just Craig is like a wealth of information when it comes to house hacking. And we hear a little bit about his story, how he got started, how he was sleeping in a cardboard box in his own living room, um, and how that led, led to him achieving financial freedom. So overall, just a really cool conversation with Craig. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us since last time we tried to record with you, you ditched us. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you know, I, I kind of missed the memo. I thought we were doing this podcast on the, in the Grand Canyon, in the river in the Grand Canyon, on the Colorado River. So you guys didn't show up. I was waiting for you. You know what? I think that is the best excuse uh, to not show up to a podcast recording. And you know what? You've definitely left your mark because you are the first person to not show up to a, a rookie podcast. <laughs> really? Recording. I'm so. in the record books? You're yes. in the record books, man. Yeah. Oh, all right. Put me down. So Craig, tell us a little bit about yourself for people who don't know you. You've written the book, The House Hacking Strategy. You've been a big part of Bigger Pockets and you're a real estate agent. So just kind of give us a, a brief backstory on you. Yeah. I mean, really it all started like a lot of people start out in this industry, just absolutely hating my W-2 job uh, before I worked at Bigger Pockets. It was, I was going to say, yeah, Scott's like in the background there. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so it was when I was in California working a like a venture capital job, being an analyst and just working hundreds of hours a week and, and looking down the hallway and seeing that my progression would be moving 30 feet down the hall to being my boss. And he worked, you know, maybe I worked 100 hours a week, maybe he worked 80 hours a week, right? So it really wasn't a good life. And um, and so I started getting the idea about passive income after reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And after reading that book, I was like, oh, I should start thinking of my – um, my expenses on a monthly basis, my salary on a monthly basis. And if I can just get enough passive income on a monthly basis to cover my expenses, well, I'm financially free and I no longer have to work. And that sounds like a lot of fun, right? I get to travel, spend time with friends, kind of do whatever I want and live on my own time. And so being in Silicon Valley, I was trying to think of dumb startup idea after dumb startup idea. And uh, if you didn't know, Silicon Valley is filled with dumb startup ideas. And so none of those just worked, right? And so then I went back to my house and I looked around and I was living in like a 20 unit apartment building. And I was like, this little, this little Spanish lady who comes to collect rent every month is probably collecting a hundred grand on the first of every month. And all she has to do is drive her car here. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And so then I started kind of diving into real estate. Obviously I found bigger pockets not long after that. And then I went down the rabbit hole. And so within six months of finding Bigger Pockets, I found myself working at Bigger Pockets, moving to Denver, purchased my first house hack, and that's kind of where where it all started. Craig, I, I love the, that you made that observation of I'm working 100 hours a week 
once I get promoted, I, I get to look forward to 80 hours a week, right? Which is, you know, it's such a weird dynamic, but it's what so many of us are are accustomed to. Um, and it was kind of that light bulb that, that made things go off for you. And so funny, man, like the four hour work week was one of the first books I read about like entrepreneurship as well. So for me, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the four hour work week came shortly there afterwards. And that's when I, I went down the, the rabbit hole too, man. Um, but, but Craig, what, what makes you unique, man, is that you, you've kind of built a name for yourself around one specific strategy within the world of real estate investing. So break down for us exactly what house hacking is and why you felt that was a good place for you to, you to kind of start your investing career. Yeah. So I think anyone who's young or any, anyone really in general, the house hacking is probably the best place to start. And so what house hacking is, it's the idea that you're going to purchase a one to four unit property with a low percent down, typically three to 5% down. You have to, because you're doing a low percent down loan, you're required to live there for one year. And while you're living there, you're able to rent out the extra bedrooms or the extra units. So the rent, uh, the rent that you're gathering covers your mortgage and you're able to live rent free. And I would bet that 90% of the people listening right now, their largest expense is their living expense, unless they're house hacking, of course. And so then, right, so you're eliminating your largest expense, you're investing in a property, you're going to, you're living in your investment. And so things aren't going to go bad when you're living there because you're seeing it every single day. So it's kind of like landlording on training wheels. And you're able to you're able to do this year after year after year until you have a pretty sizable portfolio and you can easily achieve financial independence just through house hacking. Craig, thanks for thanks for that breakdown, man. So I just want to recap it to make sure that our listeners are following. So essentially, you go out, you buy a property, and then you rent out the extra space in that property to help offset your cost of owning that home. That that I wrap that up the right way. Yeah, you got it, man. So so Craig, let's talk about like why why do you feel this strategy is a great way for newer investors to start? And especially given where the market is at today, there's a lot of fear, I think, of of a lot of people who want to get into investing. Why is house hacking a great place to start? Yeah, it's a great place to start because you don't need a lot of money to get started. Simple as that, right? You need three to five percent down. So if you're in Denver buying a five hundred thousand dollar property, you need between fifteen and maybe thirty thousand dollars down. That is a lot less than what it would typically cost to buy a five hundred thousand dollar property over a hundred grand, right? And so you're not putting a whole lot of money down. Because of that, your returns on investment are massive. Um, you're, it's like I said prior. It's it's you're landlording on training wheels, right? You're you're living in your investment, so you're seeing your tenants come in and out. You can stop things and nip them in the bud before they get too bad. Um, and so I think those are two really big reasons why house hacking is a great way to get started. Now you talk about that half a million dollar house that somebody is going to go purchase and maybe they're buying that because it has four bedrooms so they can live in one, rent out the other three. How do you get approved for these higher purchase price instead of having to buy a two bedroom, one bath, because that's what you can afford. But if you're house hacking this bigger property with more rooms, does the bank actually look at that income that you're going to be bringing in on the property? So this seems to change by the month, it feels. Um, sometimes the bank will look at prospective prospective rents and take 75% of border income is what they call it. Um, they were doing that at one point. I think they stopped doing that as of this recording. By the time this releases, they may start doing it again. So I, my recommendation would just be to talk to a bunch of different lenders and see if they can use any of the expected rent to offset uh, the the debt payment to increase your debt to income ratio. Now you can definitely do that if you use an FHA loan on a t- two, three, or four unit property. I'm just not sure how that works with the bedrooms at this point in time. So now, kind of 
how you talked about things change going on um, with lenders and definitely everything in the market is changing right now than what we've seen in the past several years. So has that affected house hacking at all? And is it still possible to house hack a property? So I truly think that house there, there will, it will never be a time where house hacking is not advantageous. Uh, I just don't see a time. The reason is, is one, there's many different types of house hacks. And so if you're buying a four or five bedroom house, you're living in one unit, renting out the other, right? In a bad economy, you're offsetting your mortgage payment, which will only help you. You're offering cheaper housing to people who need cheaper housing because obviously people will pay less for a room than they will for a full unit. So I don't see the necessity for house hacking really going away. I thought, I legitimately thought I was nervous when COVID hit that people may not want to be living in a room with four strangers that they don't know where they are or how, how dirty they are. But honestly, it's like it wasn't even the case. So because... I mean, house hacking persisted through COVID, lasted through COVID. I, I just don't see any scenario where people wouldn't want to do that. So Craig, you also mentioned there's like multiple ways that you can house hack. So I, I just want to break down some of those and tell me if if these different scenarios work with house hacking. So you already mentioned like you can go out and buy a big house, right? Buy like a five bedroom house where you rent out the other four bedrooms. What if I want to rent out my basement? Can I house hack my basement? Oh yeah, we do that all day. Uh, so it depends. Obviously you have to know what the houses look like in your area. Many houses in the South don't have basements. In, in Denver, a lot of houses do. And so you need to look at the house with the proper layout so that you can separate the upstairs and downstairs. For example, there's many houses in the Denver area where the side door that is like right where the stairs are to go downstairs. So all you have to do is like put a little wall up or put a little door up and you've got the se- you've got two separate units. Mm-hmm. And that would be perfect to Airbnb the downstairs. We do that like I've got many properties that that are just that and I think that's the most efficient way and the way I like to house hack now. Um, now that I like to kind of have my own space now that I'm a few years in. What about like, I don't know, say I have a detached garage or an ADU in the back. Can I house hack those? Sure. I mean, you can house hack anything, right? Um, you can put a tent in your backyard. You can add storage units and have, there's so many ways you could like get money out of your house. Mm-hmm. Um, but people ask me a lot, should I like renovate my garage and add plumbing and add electrical and add all of these different things? Honestly, I think it's going to cost you 75 to 100 grand to do all that. You might as well just buy another house. It's kind of like my thought. It would be less work, mm-hmm. less stress, less permits, and less time. So if you've got 75 to 100 grand, I would say like, and, and you get to keep your garage. So <laughs> my two cents, I don't love the like garage conversion thing, but you know, it all yeah. depends on where you live. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm asking these questions kind of like facetiously, right? I'm, I, the point I want the listeners to understand is that whatever extra space you have, whether it's a basement, an ADU in the back, or you buy like a, a multifamily where you live in one unit and you rent out the other three units, whatever extra space you have on your property, you can turn that into an income generating space as opposed to a liability like it is for most people. Hundred percent. Um, also, uh, parking for RVs and boats—that's really big in our area. Is a lot of people have these, and over the winter they need somewhere to store it. And their, you know, driveway in the suburb might not be big enough to actually store it, and so uh, they need somewhere else to store it. And a uh, little side note here: our producer also uh, chimed in with a studio space in your kids' closet, which is <laughs> how I recorded for the last. 
three years. Yeah, and if <laughs> you guys don't know, about my kitchen now, yeah, though, but if you guys don't know, Ashley's kids are actually ruthless landlords. So Ashley pays like a premium <laughs> for recording in that studio every single month. So she she taught them well. Actually, they did. They my one child has a really nice big walk-in closet, and I'm forced to take the small bare minimum walk-in closet for my studio. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. But the thing is, with my knee, with hurting my knee, my knee has been straight for so long, so I haven't been able to bend it enough to get, get into the studio under the desk. So I should be able to move back in shortly. (laughs) (laughs) So Greg, we talked about, you know, some of the benefits of house hacking, some of the different ways you can do it. What do you think are some of maybe the the disadvantages that come along with house hacking? Like why, maybe why is it a bad approach for, for someone? You know, it is a little bit more work, obviously, right? You are maintaining a house and you need to get tenants and you need to sign leases and do your diligence and all that. So it doesn't come without a cost. Is that cost large relative to what you're getting out of it? I would say not at all, right? I mean, my story is I went from a negative $30,000 net worth to financially free in like two and a half years, mainly through house hacking, right? And so it's not like get rich super quick, but it's get rich pretty darn quick if you want to do it the right way and you want to really like be scrappy. And I was really scrappy for those first few years. And so uh, yeah, I think I just think that I think it's for anyone that wants to, again, expedite their path towards financial independence. All right. So so Craig, appreciate you kind of breaking down some of the disadvantages as well. I think it's important for, for new investors to kind of hear both the the good side and the bad side of, of real estate investing, because no, every every type of real estate investing comes with some type of downside. And you, you've just got to make sure that if you choose this strategy, that it aligns or that you can stomach what those downsides are, I guess. Um, now, for me, Craig, like one of the biggest things that, that I'd be concerned with uh, from house hacking is having to share my personal space uh, with with strangers. So what what tips or advice do you have for someone that might be worried about the same thing? Yeah, so we talk in the book about the comfort continuum, right? On one side is comfort and on the other side is profit. And you know, on the far side of that continuum, the profit side, it's yeah, you're you're living in your on the couch in your living room and renting out every other room in your house, right? So understandable if you don't want to do that. So you just kind of move move along the continuum towards the comfort side, which is kind of what you mentioned before, Tony, about having a house where you just rent the basement. So that way you have your own space. Sure, you may hear them come in and out. But honestly, when we've done this, I don't think I've ever even seen my Airbnb guests. I've I've heard them like walking down the stairs and stuff, but you really don't see them that much. And so that usually is enough privacy so that you can still make some money, you can still cover your mortgage or at least get pretty darn close and you can still make serious leaps towards financial independence. So are there a lot of properties out there that have the basements redone or what are some things that, you know, me or anybody could look for when they're looking for a house hack? What do you look for when you're searching for a property? Yeah, so in Denver, there are a lot of basements that are completed. And so those are really easy to Airbnb, especially if you don't care to add a kitchen or anything like that. Obviously, if you add a kitchen, it will get you a little bit more and then you have some more flexibility with maybe splitting it up into two units later on. But if you're just looking at Airbnb, all you really need is like a microwave and a mini fridge and you're good to go. I personally like to add kitchens because I like to have that flexibility in case Airbnb ever goes away or anything like that. And so what I like to look for is um, big utility rooms. With, you know, you've got the washer and dryer in there, but you've got all the exposed pipes, you've got the electrical, so it's really easy to add a kitchen down there. And usually it's about the space that you'd want for a kitchen. And so, you know, it may cost 15 or 20 grand to add that kitchen. And now you've got a house with two kitchens, maybe two laundries. And so you've got like this 
true single-family house with a mother-in-law suite that you could rent out both sides. So it's kind of like a duplex, but not technically a duplex. Okay, so if you purchase one of these properties, are there zoning requirements? So say you're just doing house hacking where you're just putting, you know, maybe a person in each bedroom. Are there zoning requirements for that? And we can talk about the short-term rental side too, but just for having somebody do long-term rental in rooms, does that matter at all? So each like city or each town has a different rules for the um, the maximum unrelated people living in a house. So you'll need to know those rules and my recommendation would be not, not to break those rules. Um, there are, I would say that most of the time those rules aren't super enforced, but again, it's up to you whether you want to take that risk or not. I know plenty of people that have taken the risk, they, they have not gotten caught, but it just takes one annoying neighbor to catch you. So my recommendation is, is figure out what your jurisdiction's laws are surrounding maximum unrelated tenants. And then you can buy the four or five or six bedroom houses based on what that number is. That's interesting. I, I did not know that that was like even an ordinance or like a law that, that cities had. But interesting as you kind of go narrow and deep on some of these different strategies, you start to uncover all these different like weird, weird nuances. Um, Craig, I want I want to go back, right? Because you said you started off by renting out rooms in your house, right? Is that, that that was your first house hack? And you've kind of graduated to this this basement strategy? So my first house hack was where I was living in the living room behind a curtain and a cardboard box. And then I went and then I went to rent by then I discovered that I could have my own bedroom. Yeah. There, there was a step up above that. That's hilarious, man. Yeah. Yeah. Having my own room was a luxury. So so talk us through that, right? Like what are what are maybe some rules people can I think it's a little bit easier if you have like separate units, right? Like if you're living in the upstairs unit, someone else is living in the downstairs unit, or you've got like a triplex where there's, you know, two other units. But if you're in the same house and you're renting out spare bedrooms, what are some ground rules you should set in place for your tenants? How do you screen people to make sure you don't get some kind of you know maniac living with you? How do, how do you set yourself up for success? First, Craig, before you answer that, this is bringing you back to college days where this is house hacking is very common where you get your group of friends together, you rent a house, each person pays by the bedroom. And I, but I think this is very different is because you're going and getting your friends to live with you. So there may not be as many set rules in the house, but you also have that other person as the landlord that, you know, make collects the rent from everybody, make sure the utilities paid, things like that, where now you are responsible to make sure that everybody is paying and, you know, choosing the people to live in those rooms. You may have never have met them before. So yeah, I'm curious as to what, do you have like a rules list that's, you know, posted on the fridge? Uh, how do you kind of share the common area? You know, I did have that rules list, but I can tell you, I don't think people can read. Uh, <laughs> so this is obviously, it is it is a thing, uh, but honestly, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. There's this common misconception that when you think of rent by the room, you always think first thing is college, living in a five bedroom place with your buddies. But the thing is, is you're not living with your buddies. And so no one really cares to interact with each other. So there's not really much like living room. People aren't really hanging out in their common areas. Most of the time, people are throwing a DiGiorno's pizza in the toaster oven or the, the oven, whatever, and, and bringing it back to their room. And that's it, right? Like you're not... And then they... So really, the, the rules, we set them right in the beginning. So I think you always want to make sure that they're in the beginning. And it's, you know, clean your dishes, wipe up after yourself, you know, and then like once a month, we'll get a cleaner to clean like the bathroom and the kitchen and like those main areas like that. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. 
Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Ricky and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Craig, did you ha- ever have any instances where people, your tenants, weren't following those, those house rules that you set up? And if so, how did you go about correcting that? Yeah, tenants, I mean, they're... They're not usually that bad. I guess in my experience, they just haven't been that bad. Maybe I've done a mm-hmm. decent job at um, at just screening them. But you know, in the event that something would happen, really you have to address it soon and address it often before it becomes a habit for them, right? Like habits take a long time to break. And so if they have a habit of like leaving that coffee stir spoon in the sink and that, that annoys somebody, you say, hey, you mind just like rinsing that off and whatever, throwing it in the dishwasher? And, and just tell them every single time that it happens so that way they don't fall back into their habit and and so if you tell them just once, though, you can't get all mad at them if they do it again a second time. They're in a habit. You're helping them break this habit. So you have to, like, realize that it's just, you know, it's going to take time for them to adjust out of that, but to continue adjust to asking them and asking them nicely so there's no hostility in the house. Come on, Craig. The The answer we wanted to hear is that you laid down the law, you came out, you had your mustache, you had a sword <laughs> attached to you and walked yeah. around the house to make sure all the rules are followed. Yeah, I just walked around with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Craig, <laughs> Craig the executioner. Um, so, so, so you talked about the screening piece, man. So help us understand. I, like for me, I would probably be a lot more stringent for house hacking tenants that I would be for a traditional tenant because I have to share the space with them. So what, what did your screening process look like? Yeah. So, you know, we would send out an application uh, and that application would basically make sure that they gave us their credit score and a background check. Uh, my personal, um, personally, what I looked for was 650 or higher credit score and a clean background check. If there was like a DUI, like a few years ago or something like that, I, I would let that go. But you know, obviously nothing drug related or nothing like violent related. Uh, that's an automatic pass. And then you have the landlord references, the employer references, the the pay stubs and all that kind of stuff. And so try to gather as much information as you can about the tenant, verify that information, and then you can go ahead and accept them. And Craig, there are separate rules for screening a tenant if you are going to be living in the same property, correct? Yes, that's right. So if you're living in the property, you know, there's the the fair housing laws, which, you know, you can't discriminate based on uh, race or sex or family or whatever. But if you're living in the house, you can basically say any reason that you want. I recommend, you know, just make your, make your life easy and don't, you know, don't uh, deny somebody because of their race or their religion or something like that. Uh, but it could be like, you know, he looked like a high school bully of mine and I didn't like that. And so that is like a perfectly valid reason to not want to live with somebody. And so Craig, was you, that a you, real reason? Did you really turn somebody away for <laughs> Yeah, I got afraid of one guy. <laughs> I was afraid he was going to steal my lunch. Uh, so those are like, you can, you're, you're right, Ashley, you, you can be a little, a lot more um, stringent and, and have kind of like weirder answers. If you just don't want to live with somebody, it's fine. But I would try to st- stick to the fair housing laws as best as you can. And then what are, what's a good way to make sure that you stay in landlord mode and you treat this like a business so that, you know, maybe you're having everybody pay online or something. It's just automatically deposited into your account versus, versus kind of getting like, oh, well, you know, having the person next door to you knocking on your door and be like, hey, here's a hundred dollars. I'll deposit the rest later and stuff. How do you kind of keep that like 
focus on your business and those systems and processes and it doesn't get too relaxed into like a friendship mode. Yeah, no, that's great. So I, I use a system called Rent Ready. Um, I think I'm sure I think they were on the Bigger Pockets podcast and all that. And so that's just a it's a software that allows the tenants to submit maintenance requests. It allows them to do automatic rent payments and all that. And so basically you just make sure they set that up in the first month and then you never have to ask for rent ever again, which I think is amazing. Um, as for not getting too friendly with your tenants, like that's a really easy thing to slide into, especially if you're, if you're very friendly, what I would do is like, you know, I would be civil and cordial with them in the house, but I would never really ask them to like hang out, go somewhere to hang out. Like I would never ask them to go to a restaurant or go to a bar or go snowboarding or anything like that. But that's just like the culture of my house. One way that a lot of people get their houses filled is that they niche out their house. So they say like snowboarders paradise or like rock climber heaven or so then they get a bunch of snowboarders and they go and they become friends and, and that's actually a really good way to get tenants. So it really just depends on how your how you marketed your house hack and what your house hack what how kind of house hack you want it to be. That's cool. I've never heard of that before, like picking a niche and trying to get people that have common um interest into a house. Yeah, it works really well. And Ashes would be must have cool hip hop t shirts to to live in this house. <laughs> yeah, but or I got really bad knees. Yeah, she's got, so, yeah. Yeah, she's got some Kenny Chesney on there now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so Craig, one one follow up question to that. So the other thing that always kind of gets me stuck on the house hack strategy is how do you split up like utilities? Um, you know, maybe common things like toiletries and paper towels and dish soap. Like, how did you account for all those things? Was it just one flat rate? Was it variable switching off month by month? What was your strategy for managing those? Yeah. So when I had these, um, I would just charge a $75 utility fee on top of the rent. Um, and that would just kind of, and that was like for, and that, and that would change based on how many bedrooms it was. If it was like a four bedroom, it'd probably be a hundred. Um, and nowadays I would actually increase that to a hundred dollars because things are prices are rising. And so, um, but so you just have a flat fee, right? In, in the in the winter months, your utility bill is a little bit higher. And so you're going to lose a little bit, but in the summer, it's a little bit lower. So you're going to win a little bit. And it kind of like nets out within a hundred bucks over the course of the year. And so that is infinitely easier than going in, splitting it up five ways every single month, adding it all up. It's just, it's a pain. I did that too. And I would just never do that again. Uh, and so that's usually like the, that's what I would suggest. Flat fee, split it that many ways and you're good to go. Does it, does that include like all the household items, Craig? So like, you know, the, the dish soap, the paper towels, the toilet paper, everything that's needed just for like the, the common areas too. So when I would furnish a house, I would purchase, I'd go to Costco and I'd buy a big thing of toilet paper, a big thing of paper towels, a big thing of like all that stuff. It would maybe cost a hundred to 200 bucks. And that would be really good for the year. Right. And so I don't know if it includes it or not, like sure. But also if things ran out and I wasn't around, people would replace it. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, we wouldn't, uh, there's never been a time where we went without toilet paper or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Last question. What about like the food piece? Did, did, like, did everyone have their own section in the fridge to say, hey, this is Craig's stuff. Don't touch it. This is Ashley's. This is Tony's. How was the, the food kind of handled? Yeah. So there's uh, specific places in the fridge and also uh, everyone has their own cabinet. And so you've got your dry goods and your, your, stuff you need to refrigerate um i there were sections for sure like section ish but sometimes you like you know you put the milks together and you kind of just like remember which milk is yours and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and i just we never really had an issue with that um if you are gonna have i forgot to say this um, if you are gonna have like five or six people living in the same house i would probably suggest getting two refrigerators um we ha- always had one upstairs and one downstairs and that way they can like store their stuff in the fridge and less time coming upstairs and just more room for everybody 
Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I could ever go back to uh, house hacking and sharing my space because I know Tony would yell at me because I'd steal his food all the time. <laughs> we went to uh, Tennessee together. We stayed at a, a, a cabin, a bunch of us, and Tony was meal prepping for his fitness competition, and he brought you know, it's from California to Tennessee, all of his meals in his little container. And that was the only thing in the fridge, I think. <laughs> and Ash, did you eat one of them or something? You know, I was so starving when I got there. I was so tempted to, but Tony, you know how nice him and Sarah are. They actually brought me back some chicken. <laughs> it all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so Craig, what uh, other tips and advice do you have for rookies that are looking uh, to get started in their house hack? Who are some of the people they should have on their team, maybe? I mean, do they need to find an agent who is friendly to house hacking and knows what that is? Do they need to go to certain mortgage lenders? What does their team kind of look like that they should be building? Yeah, so I think the first and probably the, maybe I'm biased, but um, the first and probably the most important person on your team is going to be your real estate agent because your real estate agent is that node that knows everybody else, right? And so if you find a good investor-friendly agent that has worked with house hackers before in your area, then make sure that, you know, make sure, make sure they are house hackers, make sure they, they, you know, make sure they're, make sure you get along with them, obviously. But if they pass all your criteria, you know, they'll introduce you to their house hacking friendly lender and their house hacking and they, and contractors and accountants and everything you really need. And so you don't need all that stuff up front, right? Get an agent, find an agent is like the first step. After that, they'll introduce you to everybody else, let them do the work. And so I think that's just the most crucial piece. So I would say take your time finding a really high quality investor-friendly real estate agent and let the rest fall into place. What about the landlord piece? I mean, is it common for if you're house hacking to get a, a property manager or do you recommend that you self-manage? I think at first it's best to self-manage just so you know how to do it. And just so you know, like if your property manager is messing up or not. So what, the way I did it was I did, I ha I managed my first two properties myself. And once I got to my third one is when I started hiring property management. And I even hired a property manager for the house I was living in for like to rent out those other bedrooms. And the reason for that was because I just didn't want to, uh, I, w I was becoming a real estate agent at the time and it just became way more, my time was better served showing people houses versus waiting in the house, having people not show up to see a room. Right. And so you just have to figure out what your time is worth. And then you'll know, you'll know when it's time to hire a property manager. It, it is very obvious. So, Craig, you, you mentioned earlier that um, you, you essentially achieved financial independence within less than three years through the house hacking strategy. So what I want to do is, you know, if you can maybe open up the kimono a little bit and let us, you know, give us the behind the scenes. If someone today, you know, they're, they're working a nine to five that maybe they're not crazy about. How can they use house hacking to maybe not two and a half years? I might be a little bit aggressive, but say they had five years. If someone wanted to achieve financial independence with house hacking over the next five years, what kind of blueprint can you give our listeners to be able to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, the way that all the people in Denver are here doing it is each house hack they buy is going to cash flow them between $500 and $1,000 a month. And so you're able to buy one of those a year, every year for five years. And so if you you know get great deals and you can get $5,000 a month in five years, 
Well, that's financial independence right there. And that, of course, assumes that your rents don't increase and, and right and property values don't increase. Because once you start getting more and more properties that are increasing, you're able to take the equity from those properties through a HELOC or, or whatever else, and you can buy more and you can acquire more. And so, you know, I think Brandon has talked about the stack, right, where you, everybody thinks linearly, but really doesn't work that way, right? You Once you start getting one, two, three properties, you'll have more money to then buy four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I guarantee you, if you kind of put your head down and buy a property a year, you'll be very close to financial independence within that five-year timeline. Yeah, you, you kind of have my, my head spinning a little bit, Craig. So, you know, I live in Southern California, which is historically a pretty expensive market. And, you know, a lot of cities here just buying a long-term rental wouldn't make sense. And it's not necessarily house hacking, but just the idea of of renting by the room um, and maybe a more expensive market could be a way to really un unlock a different level of profitability. Because if I could rent, you know, maybe a house by itself for like $2,700 if you rent the whole house, but if it's a five bedroom and I can rent each one for maybe $800 a month, that that's a big difference in, in profitability there. So, um, yeah, no, 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 just thinking out loud. Maybe I'll go out and buy a house hack or like a multifamily rented out by the room now. So we'll see. Yeah. So, I already so texted in, Sarah. She said no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more deals. So in, in more in more expensive markets, right? Like it's, people always are kind of baffled that, you know, like I think anyone would say, oh my gosh, I can get a property in Denver, which appreciates 20% the last two years, right? And, and still get $1,000 of cash flow. Like I think anyone would take that all day. And I don't do that by just buying a house and renting it out traditionally, right? Like those are for Midwestern markets and in those markets where you can buy houses for under a hundred grand. You have to get a little bit creative in these markets like Denver, Austin, Seattle. I'm not too sure about Southern California, but you know, these kind of like tier two cities, maybe not like the LA's and San Francisco's, but what you do, right, is – so there's many ways you can do it, right? Whether it's rent by the room, whether it's – I've been doing this thing now with uh, Airbnb arbitrage. And so I think a lot of people get excited about finding landlords to – uh, to rent from and then put it on Airbnb and keep the difference. Well, I'm just that landlord, right? And so someone comes to me and they want to Airbnb my place out. They pay me four or $500 a month premium. And I'm like, and they take on the management of it. And so I'm saving, I'm making $400 a month more, plus I'm saving on the property management fee, which is about a 600 to $700 difference than I would just traditionally. And so I'm like, all day, I will do that. Craig, you're going to have so many yeah. people like who are fans of short-term rentals reaching out to you now saying, please let me arbitrage your units in Denver. So Yeah, Craig, <laughs> let me dig into that. So you're not paying a property manager for these fees that the operator is taking over. So are they taking care of all the maintenance then? Is that included in your lease agreement that they're in charge of that? So they'll take care of the, at least with my agreement, I think every agreement will be different. Um, with my agreement, they take care of the small stuff that the guests will probably do. Um, you know, like little leaks here, little stuff there. If there's something big, the AC goes, the furnace goes, the roof needs to be replaced. Like that's on me, of course. And so think like most of my maintenance is taken care of. In some, in, I'm like a pretty nice dude and I don't want to spoil our relationship. So am I going to let $200 once every four months really like, like destroy a relationship I have with this? person who's giving me say help me save six hundred dollars a month of course not right and so i'm fairly lenient but yeah but the agreement usually is is they pay for kind of like the small things i pay for the big things okay so you're they would still contact you directly instead of the property manager yeah if if, 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 yeah. if something needs to be replaced yep yeah but so you have the you have the arbitrage str operator and you also have a property manager or did you remove the property manager altogether i removed the property manager because those, I mean, for me, like those things just don't break that often. Like maybe once a year I have to call a plumber. Um, 
And oftentimes I just, I have an assistant too. I just have them do it. And so it's not really like, it's sure it's me managing it, but it really doesn't take much time at all. Cool. Well, thank you for that breakdown. Yeah. Would you want to go through just the numbers of a house hack for us real quick? Um, you did, you showed, you said maybe like 500 to a thousand dollars on average, someone can get from the Denver market, but can you maybe like show what the purchase price would be, how much you'd have to put down, what maybe your interest rate would be, and then what they should charge per room and you know, how much you'd get back in your pocket? Uh, yeah, I can, I can go through my most recent one. Um, back in July of 2021, I bought this property in um, a pretty up and coming area of Denver. Uh, it was a, it was actually a seven bed, three bath. Um, and it was, um, and it's in this, it's called Virginia Vale. It's like right next to Cherry Creek. It's a really up and coming area. It's really nice. And it's got that top. What I liked about it is it's got that top bottom set up with that big utility room that I described earlier. And so I bought this for 585,000. Uh, I can't remember the interest on my mortgage. It was like three point something. So, you know, interest rates were lower back then. Mm-hmm. And then my mortgage on that was, is like $3,000 a month. So that was my mortgage. Um, I ended up rent- I ended up making one of the bedrooms downstairs into a living room. And so now it's a six bed, three bath with a living room. And I converted that, that downstairs to an Airbnb. I really did not like managing the Airbnb. And so I had, I, that's when I got the idea of like doing the arbitrage with somebody else. And so somebody's renting that downstairs from me for $2,400 a month. Uh, and she's putting on Airbnb and I think she's making a lot of money because I haven't heard any complaints. So uh, that works. And then I, ran, I actually went to the top. So in, in Denver, uh, you really can only have one Airbnb per residence. And so that was kind of an issue in, in Denver Metro. And this one is in Denver Metro versus like in the suburbs, the rules are different. And so the upstairs, I have a traditional regular tenant and they pay $2,400 a month as well. And so you can kind of see the difference there, right? It's $2,400 for a top unit, three bed, two bath. It's pretty nice for the backyard versus the same exact amount for a basement unit, three bed, one bath, no backyard. And so, so that is making me $4,800 a month in rent on the $3,000 mortgage. So I'm making $1,800 over the mortgage. And, um, you know, I, I set maybe like $400 aside for vacancy util, um, mm-hmm. vacancy. I do pay utilities on that one. Um, and all the other, you know, all the other things you're reserved for. And so I'm making a little over a thousand dollars a month on, on that property right there. So, and, and that's not like a home run out of this world deal. Like I, I found that very quickly and just went with it. And so you, you can kind of get stuff like that all day. That is so cool. I love that you looked at that property and you're like, okay, I want to do short-term rental. And then you're like, you know what? It's not for me. Let's twist it and turn it and let's do Airbnb arbitrage. Mm-hmm. Especially I, I, that's like one of my favorite things is looking at a property and finding different ways to pull revenue off of it. And also having those different exit strategies on it where, you know, if something's not working, okay, I can do this now with that property. And Craig, just really quick. I mean, you say, you know, a thousand dollars pretty nonchalantly, but that it's like a pretty healthy amount of cash flow for one property. Like my, my first long-term rental, I was making like 150 bucks a month. So you, you did almost 10 X that. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't sell yourself too short there. Um, one other thing I want to highlight, you, you talked to Ashley about like, you know, multiple revenue streams or like the different opportunities in, and from a piece of property. And, uh, Episode 107, we had Kai Andrew on, and he talked about land hacking, um, which is similar to house hacking, but his was with land. And he was making like 10 income trains off of one piece of land. So if you guys go back to episode 107 with Kai Andrew, you can hear a little bit more about, uh, I guess, the the cousin to house hacking, which is land hacking and how he set that up. We're going to have to give that one a listen. 
Well, Craig, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we do have a, a couple segments here to go through. Um, Tony, you want to take the first one? So, Craig, are you ready for the rookie exam? Oh, man, I didn't study, but let's do it. You're, you're, the future of your life depends on this exam. So <laughs> luckily for you, I think, I, think you'll, I think you'll do well, man. So three questions for you. Same three questions we ask, we ask uh, every guest now. So the first question is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? I think you should reach out to a real estate uh, investor friendly real estate agent in your area and just start asking questions and start having those conversations so they can help. You know, if you need some time to prepare, they can help you so that you know what to prepare. And so that way, when it comes time and you've got your down payment saved up, you can hit that ground rolling versus getting all the education and getting the team together then. So start building your team now. The next question is, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use? Um, for the house hacking piece, I would say Rent Ready is going to be the best the best thing that I've seen. Uh, it used to be Cozy, but Cozy like kind of got crappy once Apartments.com bought them. So uh, I, I always recommend Rent Ready now. And yeah, they do great for the property management side if you're going to be managing your house hacks yourself. Awesome. Last question for you, Craig. Where do you plan on being in five years? Oh, man. The fu my future does depend on this. Are you going to check in on me? <laughs> we will. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I. that's always a tough question. Um, you know, we just bought like kind of like our, our forever home up in Idaho. And so I think we're going to be there. We're going to be settled in there a little bit more. Um, we're going to continue to grow the real estate team in Denver and then maybe in a few different other markets and just try to help as many people as we can achieve financial independence through real estate investing. And so um, similar to Bigger Pockets mission, we have a very similar mission. So, you know, we're just going to keep taking it day by day. And even better, I love Idaho. That would be like my dream place to live out of all the places that I've been to. Yeah, well, definitely come, come by and, and hang out. Yeah, I'll be in uh, Boise and Coeur d'Alene in June. We are in Coeur d'Alene, so uh, oh, let me know. Okay. Yeah, yes. I but, I love that you're. That's even better. That's like amazing there. So good for you. Yeah, yeah. Let's at least grab lunch, or you can come see the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you that's can meet Grace. Cool. Well, um, let's give out a shout out to our rookie rock star who is Jason Beckett this week. Closed on units two, three, and four. He purchased a triplex in an incredibly hot and trendy Tremont neighborhood in Cleveland and somehow managed to get it below asking with an FHA 203K loan. Uh, list price was 329000 He got it for 290000 out of pocket, 15200 The rehab was 70000 which was built into the loan, which is part of the 203K loan. And his expected ARV is to be $400,000 thousand dollars and the rent potential is going to be between 1500 to 1650 per unit so congratulations uh jason that's awesome well craig uh where can everyone find out some more information about you and reach out to you besides showing up at your doorstep in cordelaine <laughs> uh yeah well you're more than welcome to uh you know uh, instagram i'm the fi guy uh, we have a podcast of our own too called investify and, you know, if you're in Denver, you can always look at thefiteam.com as well. We're always happy to help. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining us. We enjoyed having an expert on to talk about house hacking. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply.
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.